Hey everyone, it's your host of See Jurassic Right, Stephen Ray Morris here, just dropping in to say, I hope you've been enjoying all the new episodes in 2023 and 2024 so far. There are new interviews with filmmakers, musicians, scientists, the screenwriter of Land Before Time, audio essays about the rich history of the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World franchise, and all the news about the upcoming animated show Jurassic World Chaos Theory and the as-of-yet untitled Jurassic World sequel coming next summer. I really need your help supporting the show right now, and you can do that by leaving a tip and or giving a monthly follow on Patreon, patreon.com slash There are $1 and $5 tiers, but more is coming. Sharing the show, giving five-star reviews in Apple Podcasts, and liking and commenting on social, at Stephen Ray Morris on Instagram and Twitter, goes a long way to help boosting the show's visibility again online in this new era. I'm an independent podcaster and your support is so important and means the world to me in keeping this podcast running. Link to the Patreon is in the show notes. Hold on to your butts. Thank you. And now on to the show. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. My dear Mr. Stephen Ray Morris, uh, it's good to see you again through this capacity and uh, a very belated congrats on all your successes as a, as a podcaster, as an engineer, as a producer. Um, I hope you find um, as much joy and fulfillment as one can. Um, really happy for uh, all the accomplishment that you've had. I felt like I just repeated myself over there. So I've been noticing that you have this new podcast see jurassic right uh and uh i also would like to share some of the memories that i have it seems to be just a huge um cultural benchmark that we uh are fortunate to witness in our lifetimes or be in the in an early age and while my answer may not be as pointed or as uh inspiring as other people's or yours and my hope if anything could be entertaining to know and i'll keep this try to keep this under 10 minutes although i have to be honest i i actually uh did kind of like four or five attempts of recording this (laughs) before before this version so god knows how long i will babble but uh if you can bear with me uh i'll try to share some of the story i had with you so um I, I didn't watch the film in 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 a movie theater. Uh, I was this very introverted, shy kid, 
who barely speak English uh, in my own world. Uh, I think when this movie came up, and uh, yeah, I didn't see the film until I think at least three to four years later when I got a tape from from I think either my grandparents or my uncle, you know,、um, you know, just like a homemade VHS tape that they they. Kind of found the movies maybe playing on some channels, or they rented some.、Uh, remember Blockbuster? <laughs> remember uh, uh, maybe they maybe they rented the movie and they want to keep a copy of their own and just give an extra on to us. And、uh, yeah, it's it's so I watched the movie that way. And and fun trivia, although not as fun as probably some other people might have hoped. The the tape is 120 minutes long. It's a standard, you know, VHS tape that's 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 recorded for two hours. So, you probably see where I'm going for with this. I never get to see the ending of the film. Isn't that odd? Like I've I've been watching that tape for I I I saw that tape for probably like at least 30 times, and I didn't get to see like the final four or five minutes when they're like when all the main characters up. Are up in the helicopter and and going away. I never get to see that part. And what's weirder was that I was not bothered by it because the movie, <laughs> the tape,、uh, stopped right after、uh, Doctor Grand and the kids ran out of the of the museum or the 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 main lobby and jump into the jeep and and and.、Uh, Dr. Grand Sam Neil said, I, "I this after careful consideration, I decided not to endorse your park." And it cuts right there, and I feel like, "Huh, that's a that's an interesting ending." Like, no, I'm not going to endorse your park. Bam, end of film. But yeah, I was never bothered by it really until like I think, yeah, maybe either when I saw it again on 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 t playing on TV like when I was here or. But yeah, for like at least a good five to six years of my life, I did not see the last five minutes of Jurassic Park, and I was not bothered with it. I told you, I that I I think that explains how weird I can be. So,、uh, yes,、uh, hope to see you again soon, and again a very belated congratulations on all the successes you've been having, and.、Uh, Hope you enjoy this recording. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. One, two, three, four. Filled with unfright, see Jurassic right. Welcome back to See Jurassic Right, a podcast about Jurassic Park and you. I'm your host, Stephen Ray Morris. Today's episode is all about Jurassic Park. Well, the original film. Yes, this episode will cover specifically 1993 Steven Spielberg-directed Jurassic Park. Let's call this a close reading. Thank you to my friend, actor Jason Coe, for that very sweet message at the top of this episode. Seeing Jurassic Park on VHS feels like almost an essential experience. I know my father rented a copy for me from Blockbuster when it first came out, and I know many listeners saw the film for the first time in that format, like my friend and film editor Annie Wilkes did. 
whom you'll hear at the end of this episode. But first, some stats and a little background info to brush up on. Jurassic Park was released on June 11, 1993 in the United States. An Amblin Entertainment film released by Universal, it was directed by Steven Spielberg, with a screenplay by David Kep and the original book author, Michael Crichton. It was produced by Kathleen Kennedy and Gerald R. Molin. The film was shot by Dean Kundi, with production designed by Rick Carter, edited by Michael Kahn, with sound designed by Gary Rydstrom, and it featured a score by John Williams, with visual effects by Industrial Light and Magic. And it starred Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, Richard Attenborough, Joseph Mazzello, Arena Richards, Bob Peck, Martin Ferrero, Wayne Knight, Samuel L. Jackson, B.D. Wong, Cameron Thor, Miguel Sandoval, and Gerald R. Molin. I first saw it in theaters when my dad took me to see it when I was six, which you can hear a detailed account of in episode one. Needless to say, I was hooked, baby. For today's episode, I was joined by one of my dear friends, filmmaker Omar Najam, to talk about what I consider the four key scenes in the seminal movie. Omar and I first met my senior year at UC Santa Barbara and immediately bonded over our love of Jurassic Park. At the time, I definitely felt like I had finally met someone who loved the film not only as much as I did, but that it meant as much to his development as a person and artist as well. On his origin with the film, he told me of its chaotic beginning, inextricably tied to family and drama. And Thanksgiving. I first saw Jurassic Park when it came out on VHS because my parents went to go see it in theaters and had to leave halfway through because my middle brother was looking at a spider and fell down a stairwell and cracked his head. And so they had to leave the theater back in the, of course, this is in the 90s. So they got a call and someone had to go find them in the theater and they found them and they're like, your son is bleeding out of his head. And then so they had to rush to the hospital and they were very eager to watch it, but weren't going to pay for another movie ticket. So... They got it on VHS the second it was available, and I remember being so scared, so insanely scared in my living room watching this film, and I couldn't stop watching. My brother went to school in Hawaii, so I went out to where they were shoot where they shot Jurassic Park, and then they were shooting Jurassic World at the time, and so just kind of stumbled across that and like lied to like go like sneak over a cliff and like watch them film some scenes, but I would say probably the biggest external. Um, association I have is that we, my family was not a huge movie family. Like we watched films, but we weren't, it wasn't like movies were always playing on the background like a lot of other families uh, from the neighborhood. But for some reason, my parents would watch Jurassic Park every Thanksgiving. So we had Thanksgiving dinner, and then after that, we just knew we were going to watch Jurassic Park. And so I have this like Thanksgiving association with the film, which makes sense because there's a ton of carnage. I think like that goat leg is like a huge, probably like subconscious influence on that choice. But after it's like Thanksgiving, I associate Thanksgiving with Jurassic Park and Jurassic Park with Thanksgiving. Yeah, I do too. When uh, Jurassic Park first played on NBC, like that was a huge deal. Right, right. In the in the sale from Universal to NBC, which it's funny because now they're the, part of the same company. Right. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, they might have already been the same company at that point. I don't know. I can't remember. But I think Jurassic Park definitely solidified it, though. Yeah. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. NBC was like, let us be the first te- network television channel to play Jurassic Park on TV, you know, in I think the fall of 94. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, 
so it's it's funny that it was like I wonder I wonder what the original rationale of that was because it's like Jurassic Park is a summer movie but in a weird way it doesn't feel like a summer block like it is a blockbuster but it doesn't necessarily like now because it was released in June yeah but I almost feel like that movie could easily be like one of those like fall blockbusters because it's like a horror right there's like horror elements of it yeah so it's more like the closer to October is fine. Yeah, it's a <laughs> but not like October. It's not ghosts or anything. So just get it around there. It's yeah. Maybe it's like a late, uh, you know, like a late July, early August kind of thing. Right, right. Like a Labor Day choice. Yeah, a Dunkirk kind of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's the Dunkirk of dinosaurs. Our conversation of the film really honed in on the ways the ingenuity of man often fails in nature's tendency to course correct. Jurassic Park has always been emblematic of that classic man versus nature struggle, but the mechanisms of chaos so delightfully make this epic battle something more nuanced, terrifying, and awe-inspiring as well. So without further ado, let's dive in. As the jeeps drive through the lush Isla Nublar jungle, one man wants to relax, the other doesn't. The lawyer, Donald Gennaro, wants to make sure everything's in place, because, let's be real, this is a serious business trip. John Hammond, the dreamer, is like, relax, try to have a good time. But you know what? Hey, this isn't a weekend excursion. However, John Hammond knows he's going to get what he wants. He's got a trick up his sleeve. So while the jeeps pull into the field, we check in on Dr. Ellie Sattler, who's like, the species of veriformin has been extinct since the Cretaceous. Ellen Grant wasn't paying attention. There's something different about those trees. It's definitely not the tree that I know. And uh, he pulls off his glasses dramatically, you know, taking Dr. Ellie Sattler away from her plants for one second. And they can't believe their eyes. They see it. They see a dinosaur. They jump out of the vehicle, trying to get closer. And the brachiosaurus is just doing its thing. And it trumpets out, it calls out to the other brachiosaurs, and then freaking bites a leaf off the tree. John Hammond is laughing. <laughs> and Dr. Ian Malcolm is uh, also laughing. That son of a bitch, that crazy son of a bitch, he did it. And of course the lawyer thinks, we're going to make a fortune with this place. Ellen Grant and Dr. Ellie Seller are more preoccupied with what it means to see alive dinosaurs again. They're like, how fast? You know, what's what's going on? And John Hammond's like throwing out another casual mention. Well, we clocked the T-Rex at 32 miles per hour. And of course, this, at this point, Ellen Grant and Dr. Ellie Sattler might as well pass out. And John Hammond is like, you know, my idea, Dr. Sattler. And he's like, welcome to Jurassic Park. And that's... We pan across the vista. We see brachiosaurs. We see parasaurolophuses. Ellen Grant was like, what the fuck? How do you do this? And John Hammond's like, I'll show you.
<laughs> so good. It's such an incredible scene in terms of like the slow expansion of information. In the sense that like, because what, what really struck me about the scene, at least in the way that we watched it, is I kind of like, because it's this idea, it's like a challenge, you know, it's like Gennaro's like, here's these things why like we need to be safe. And then John's like, don't worry, I got, yeah, I got this at my sleeve kind of thing. Yeah. And then, oh, what this mystery, mm-hmm. you know. Because, like, the Jurassic Park movie, it's not really a mystery that there are dinosaurs, you know? No. But within this scene itself, it presents it as, like, this reveal. But I think it works because there's that kind of... I think it's because the emotionality of, like, Spielberg being, like, no, it's, like, not only for us seeing the dinosaurs, but, like, for these two people who their whole lives have been, like, devoted to this cause of, like, digging the bones and stuff. And it's, like, um, it's, like... For a brief second, you're actually like maybe better than anything, like really put into their shoes. Yeah. More than any other point in the movie. I completely. Well, it's like it's amazing because it's not just. It's not just there being dinosaurs, which is a crazy idea. It's the notion that we are going to instantly be so humbled. Like they ride up and there's this gigantic animal that's huge you know yeah and it while it plays you know straightforward that it is a dinosaur it's almost like seeing like someone seeing an elephant for the first time in real life or something where it's just like you are suddenly put into your place and you get to just like stand in like amazement of something yeah oh yeah you're right because Hammond's not showing them copies you know? right right yeah 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 exactly welcome to Jurassic yeah, Park like, oh wow there's a lot of them yeah <laughs> I know which is funny because in a way just be thinking ahead to Lost World, isn't that a funny contrast where Ludlow, he's showing the investors a compi. That's yeah. like the first thing he shows them is like a little tiny dinosaur trapped in a cage. Yeah. Whereas John Hammond is like, no, like here is our dinosaurs at their most magnificent. Yeah. And what a showman too. Yeah. It's so, but it's still sprinkled with, it, the scene technically starts with them closing these security gates, which yes. are very ominous. And this warning of like, if I'm not impressed, like by the security and safety of this park, uh, financially or you know in terms of like people's health, there's gonna be a shutdown. And then Ellie's got the um, leaf that she's like, this doesn't belong here, you know, because all these weird little scary cues that keep popping up. And then anytime that Ian is tickled by something, you should be worried. <laughs> like anytime he laughs, you're just you should be very worried by <laughs> yeah. what's to follow. Yeah, and yet through all these warnings, it almost makes that it's that it's the seesawing that this movie does between that that awe and yes. and fear and that kind of running theme of this movie kind of playing to both sides and how Spielberg's so you know, by leaning hard in one direction, he can f- he can quickly switch it to the other. Yeah. And you feel it even more than you might if he had just, you know, just had done one or one or like one or the other. Right. Because I, I mean, I remember reading um, in a biography of Steven Spielberg that he had a specific instruction to everyone, which was these are not these are not creatures. These are not creatures or caricatures. They're characters in terms of all the dinosaurs. And so they all had to behave a certain way individually within like even the, the raptors amongst each other and stuff like that. And so I think that also allows thinking about them not as set pieces 
or props, but instead as characters, it allows you to form a dynamic between certain characters and certain dinosaurs. Yeah, and it, and it's that thing where like uh, that was talked a lot about on the dinosaurs episode is that each dinosaur in Jurassic Park serves a specific narrative function. Yes, and in that way, they are characters because it's like you think of the Brachiosaurus as it's the you know it's the awe and wonder, it's the power of nature representing all these sorts of things. And in this scene in particular, it's very much like you're saying that there's this humbling effect that it's like instantly like, oh, we should be taking this seriously. Yes. Um, but also that um, also that like they are, you know, this is going to be more than just a because the opening scene is the Velociraptor very like horror film kind of tropes. Yeah. Stuff. But then you're you're seeing then the next dinosaur you see is this type of thing where it's not about being afraid it's about it's about sort of letting go of your fear and sort of accepting that like you're saying that you are just this one small you know you are humbled by the magnificence or whatever yeah and there's something also like very cute about this scene too of how it gets up on its legs to get like the topmost leaf and it Uh. looks almost like a cat or a dog like trying to reach up or something and it's very endearing which is such a great way to like introduce the idea of like not all these things are terrible. Yeah. So <laughs> not in, all terrible lizards. Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> Hashtag not all dinos. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I it's just such a well. It's like the whole idea of like the triangle of a scene where like you start off with a tease of a concept, and by the end you're seeing exactly what this is all about. Yeah. Which is welcome to Jurassic Park. It's gonna be it's stuff out of place. There's going to be dangers. You're going to be concerned, but it's also amazing. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, I love that. Oh, I really love that. Is this plate of Chilean sea bass delightful? Dr. Ellie Sattler isn't convinced. But Donald Gennaro is convinced that Jurassic Park is going to make us tons and tons of money. 10000 a day, 15000 a day, people will pay it. But John Hammond, he's in it for the long game. Look, Jurassic Park wasn't made only for the super rich. But Dr. Ian Malcolm is concerned. You have an island full of dinosaurs, and I don't think you understand the gravity of this situation. He says... You're already thinking of the end result without thinking of the moral implications of what you're doing in the first place. And now you, you know, patented it and packaged it and slapped it on a plastic lunchbox and you want to sell it. Of course, John Hammond's like, I'll, I'll hear this out. At this point, the dinosaurs are already made. So let's do this. And of course, Dr. E. Malcolm's like, the whole point of this is that, you know, discovery isn't this beautiful thing that you've painted it as, this romantic thing it's very destructive and you didn't think about the consequences before you you went off and (laughs) made dinosaurs of course john hammond's like hey but what about you know we bringing back this extinct creature and stuff but dr e malcolm is also thinking about the long game and about our species and you know also being right dr ellie sattler has a very practical concern that there are poisonous plants in this building but you've only picked them because they look good. And she's thinking that might be a hint at the attitude overall at Jurassic Park. 
Ellen Grant, you know, chimes in. Shit, man, I like dinosaurs, but I don't know. Of course, John Hammond is like, guys, guys, I'm paying for all your stuff. Why nobody? Well, I got the blood-sucking lawyer on my side. And before discussion can begin even further, it's time for the tour. just another perfectly written scene this is just i mean especially just jumping from that scene to this scene that this scene really feels like the corruption of man yeah it's like the forces of bad uh, like the forces the bad impulses of humankind to 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 sort of strip and and justify and any kind of behavior and it feels like there's this kind of like like roulette table of like why your uh you know steadfastness like steadfast like push towards the future like why that is actually you know not progress and why actually you are actually disconnecting yourself from the rest of the world it's so I really like this scene because it is a conversation. It does lean because we give so much screen time and so much dialogue to Ian. At times it can sound, I feel like at times it can come off a little anti-science, which is always like uh, a concerning misreading of the scene because they do address that where it's like, right. But if this is a thing that we caused or like, you know, like he's, he is clarifying. He's not against scientific exploration per se, but he was the first one just calling it out that the parts of parts of it is are problematic. Exactly. Yeah. And there's something about I think what I love is that this is the first demystif like this is the demystification of this theme park. And it's so well done. And I it, it wasn't until watching it just now with you that it clicked into place why uh, how it works so visually and subconsciously when you're looking at the projections on the back it's all these amazing fun facts and you know uh you know um uh, new new attractions oh, here's right tie-in stuff different oh. quarterly you know projections and yeah. stuff like that uh like an airplane flying and then when you cut to the reverse of ian talking and then to ellie and, and onwards you're looking straight into the projectors over their shoulders and no longer are you seeing the beautiful images of beaches or money. You're looking directly into the harsh light of the machine itself, you know? Yeah. And the cha- the slight change in angle goes from a pretty beach picture to a blinding light. And that's exactly what's going on in this scene. And it's so great that they did. Like, it's just like this could have happened in any room. But it's like all these projectors going on. And something that sound becomes really annoying and like chatter yeah (laughs) just kind of this like chugging of like like you know in Gennaro's mind this is the chugging of the machine like like we can look at all this opportunity look at everything we can gain yeah from what was presented to us this bounty of humility this bounty of nature and now in this scene it's like i said before it's that corruption of like well how can we use it how can we take advantage of it it's very interesting that it is like yeah these the kind of um 
this kind of more like godlike perspective you know with the harsh backlighting yeah. is it's not on Hammond being like the light of discovery it's like oh no that's just another angle where it's just like he's just like part of a two shot but then it's like right. when you show Malcolm saying rape of the natural world it's like that's like you're saying that's the harsh light yeah yeah like, this absolutely is the, this is the reality of what a place like this would be um but because it's Ian Malcolm who's got a smirk on his face you're just like well you know that little scamp he's yeah. got a point that's um, so true. And it really is. Yeah, it's it's seeing people slowly change in their mind too cuz Ian is pretty set. Uh and then for everyone else to have to deal with the fallout of his harsh conclusion. Yeah, and I I love that Dr. Ellie Sattler that that Laura Dern's character is very much she is such the practical in the moment character in this yeah. movie where she's like okay that's that's great you got this great theoretical reason for why this place sucks or whatever but literally you have poisonous plants in this building right and that is it's proving his point but in a way it's a more effective proving of that point because it's talking with something that's actually Oh, because Ian's so poetic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he, something kind of gets lost in like the pretentiousness of his yes, language. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas I think Dr. Ellie Sattler has this very clear, practical perspective. And then Dr. Alan Grant, Sam Neill's character, he's just like, because you know that he's like, oh, I fucking love dinosaurs. Yeah. You know, and it's like he sees this dinosaur for the first time and he's just like, oh, just let me. Just let me enjoy this for a little while. Yeah. And so he kind of has to come down the middle. Exactly. But I like what you're saying about how like their two responses are very much a fallout of his point. And it's like as scientists, they're like they can't ignore what he said. Right. Yeah. It just starts off like starting from the 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 sea bass. Yeah. With the, with the Chilean sea bass. Right. Ellie's face. She's like, oh, no. And I love. And it's so like I there's such a great way to start that scene where you're hearing this conversation go and you see this what we might consider like a amazing ornate plate Fancy. and she's not into it. She hasn't bought into like the majesty of like this park experience. She still kind of seems to be a little stressed about other stuff and that's so great cuz Hammond just putting these plates in front of people. Well, and I will say that it's interesting that like, you know, hearing the last line in this scene is that like oh, this is great and all, but they're here. You know, my grandchildren are here. Mm. But also, like, we don't have time to actually address this philosophical concern because we now need to move on and go on the tour. Exactly. And so it, it, it's these philosophical concerns, these even these practical concerns yeah. get kind of swiped under the rug because we still want to see the show. Yeah. You know, and you'd think that on some level, you would think that, you know, that the better scientist in them would be like, well, we can't in good conscience go on this tour. Like we've seen all we've needed. Yeah. That's but so it's true. Like, but it's, but we're grant in this, in this moment because we're like, Oh, but we just, we need to see it. You know? Yeah. I need to, I need to be able to, I need to go on this tour and I need to know. And maybe that's not something he's consciously thinking about, but there's very much that element of like indecisiveness in his comments that I think part of him is being a bad scientist in that moment where he's like, you know what? I know theoretically this is wrong. I know practically there's lots of reasons for why this is wrong, but I just need to see more. I just want to, yeah. I want to stall and, and try and, and, but again, it's that, it's that push and pull that really forces people to continue to maybe, you know, f not always make the best judgments, you know? That's so true. Yeah, absolutely. 
because just act like kids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, we don't want to make a decision yet. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. We're all kids, right? I think so, especially when it comes to Jurassic Park. Yeah. <laughs> The power is off. But Tim Murphy has his night vision goggles. He's looking for something interesting to do while trapped in this car. Lex is just fanning herself and Gennaro's just sleeping. But then he feels something. He then looks at the little glass on the dash, noticing the ripples in the water. Donald Gennaro is... Maybe the power's trying to come back on? Come on, dude. Lex is like, where's the goat? And boom, the goat leg just slams on the glass. Uh, above them and that's when they see it the queen of the dinosaurs the t-rex swallowing the goat pretty much whole except for that leg uh donald Gennaro is not happy and as the wires and cables snap the t-rex steps in between the two cars being like i'm here and malcolm is like man i hate being right about all this <laughs> and Gennaro is like shit I am totally unprepared for this. I mean, I didn't even wear socks with my loafers, so clearly he's not taking any of this seriously and runs away. And Grant and Malcolm are like, where do you think he's going? And look, you know, Malcolm's right. When you gotta go, you gotta go. Lex and Tim aren't having a great time. They're just trying to keep their cool. I mean, they're freaking kids. Um, So they turn on this flashlight thinking, I don't know, maybe they'll scare the dinosaur. But uh, Grant's like, hey, turn what? Oh, God damn it. Um, and the T-Rex at first is just very curious. I mean, I'm sure it hasn't come into contact with that many people. Um, again, if they're feeding the animal via a little elevator with goats. So the T-Rex, you know, curiously first kind of nudges the car, kind of looks in like what's going on. But hey, it's time to eat again and starts to bash in the car. John Hammond better hope that the kids don't tell their parents when they get back from this weekend, if they make it out alive. Because the car, because the T-Rex turns over the car, glass shattering into the mud. Alan Grant realizes, even though he's not a fan of kids, he's got to take some action. And he digs around, digs around, finds a flare, jumps out of the car, turns it on. And Alan Grant realizes he may be in an in over his head a little bit. 
But look, Malcolm's got to be the hero too. So he shines a flare, you know, hey, get the kids, get the kids. I'm going to be the human sacrifice, even though I have, you know, kids and ex-wives and everything. But Alan Grant can't do anything at this point. Malcolm's running, Malcolm's running. The T-Rex is close and in behind. Uh, meanwhile, it's heading right towards the bathroom where Donald Gennaro ran to uh, for safety, um, which isn't good. You know, ferns, bamboo, bathroom walls go flying everywhere. Malcolm passes out, and all that's left in the rain is Donald Gennaro sitting on one lonely toilet. And the T-Rex is like, ow, time to eat again. Grant sees this as an opportunity to rescue the kids, but uh, it's filling up with mud, it's gross, it's rainy, and the, and the seats have got uh, Tim's feet. Lex is out covered in mud, but then she sees the Tyrannosaurus back. Alan Grant's like quickly just, hey, don't move. T-Rex's, you know, vision I said earlier was based on movement. We can do this, but it must be terrifying. <laughs> uh, this giant creature sniffing you. And then T-Rex is like, you know what? This 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 car's got to go and starts to kick it over with Tim in it. Uh, Lex and Grant can't do anything other than just hold on for dear life as the T-Rex pushes the Ford Explorer off into the jungle. The T-Rex has claimed her territory. This island is mine. (laughs) And that's the T-Rex. Yeah. (laughs) Talk about leveling the playing field. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, we're like... We're going to charge 10,000, you know, 10,000 a day, 15,000 a day. People will pay it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're riding high and then it's like none of it matters. Right back down. Yeah. Yeah. I re- was recently reading, you know, about Seamus Berg in, in, in terms of his like general career and study and stuff. What was that book called? That's I want to say it was called Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll grab it in a second. Yeah. yeah. Um, but watching this. Again, so closely and focusing just on the scene, it hit me how this is not a horror scene as lots of times we discuss it and say that it's like, oh, it's such a horror. It's totally a Hitchcock noir, which makes mm. sense because Steven Spielberg like studied you know Hitchcock films. Yeah. But uh, from the sort of cues in terms of cinematography, like the vacant space in the window that's making room for the goat leg straight out of like the glasses and lady vanishes and stuff like that to because i've always wondered how how do we so effectively understand everything about the character of the t-rex and it it this whole thing watching it now the whole scene reminded me of rear window where it's this guy walking in and they keep trying to blind him because they're kind of stuck like uh you know he's stuck in the wheelchair so he can't move too quickly but it totally is this watching it from afar, this danger and this guy coming in and his only intention is to hurt you. And even in Hitchcock, it's like in her window, like it's cause like he's going to get caught for murder, but also mostly like it's just cause he's going to, he's a villain, you know, <laughs> like it's not like they have worked out like this huge backstory where it's like, Oh, and they're personally tied. And if you know, they get the story out or whatever, it really is just this guy wants to hurt you. And the T-Rex just wants to hurt you. And it plays out exactly like a Hitchcock 
seen yeah, the, wood. Yeah, the T Rex doesn't want to be fed; it wants to hunt. It's a, it's an animal, but it's more than just an animal in the scene. It's, it's representative also of the idea of man versus nature in that sense. Yeah, yeah. And it's like you, you've your hubris has gotten you here, and now we're here to bring it back down. Exactly. Yeah. How powerless you are against sort of insanity is not the exact word, but it almost feels like psycho-ish in a way where it's like you can't predict what's going to happen next. You know, like with this character. Yeah, yeah. Like it can do anything. Yeah, you're in the bathroom. You're unsafe. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. Like the, it can just knock down walls. You know, yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the the play of light and dark really is is such a driving force in this story. In the rain and the mud, and it's like this idea where it's literally you're in, you know, I, I always say that Jurassic Park is this movie where everyone starts very pristine and clean, and yes. by the end, everyone's covered in mud and dirt. Yeah. And this is really that moment where everything, in, in this movie, everything flips in this scene. Yeah. The power switches off. And all bets are, you know, all bets are off. We start off when we're looking at the raptors' fossils. It's daytime. You're surrounded by people. The biggest threat to a kid is Grant's story. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's dusty. Whereas now the dinosaur's alive and it's nighttime and it's rainy and muddy. You know, it's such a funny, like, from to go from one to the other. Yeah. Yeah, this this pristine technology is now rendered, um, uh, now rendered inoperable. Yeah, and there's no, no there's no barriers because yeah because they invited they invited this nature you know they brought it back into our yeah. world and now this is really the that equilibrium again like I was saying the leveling of the playing field this is really it this is the moment where. You know, like if a glass is like filled with two different substances, this is where they're shaking the glass to try and right. mix it all up together. Yeah. You know, because it's like, okay, we got nature on one side of the fence and we got, you know, uh, humanity and technology and all that stuff on the other. And now this is the barrier has been broken. Yeah. We're just tearing down those wires. And, you know, and the thing is like, uh, it, who broke the first, who broke it first? You know? Yeah. In this scene, the T-Rex... Um, she breaks the fence, but you know, but the power was set off by mm-hmm. the human. You know, it's like that thing where you can kind of trace it back and everything. Like right, that. like so, greed. I think is yeah. Right at the end of the day, it was greed. <laughs> greed was the source of all <laughs> the whole the, time. In the end, the greed were the friends we made along the way. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so funny how it's like it. This scene is like a stakeout. Like there's like the it's the rain. It's there's the, you know someone's drinking. There's the binoculars looking out at like oh, where the wow. culprit should be, and then suddenly he's in the living room. You know, like that's kind of how it he's feels. behind us. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, knocking the gun out of your hand, and like everything you try to do gets like you know one step. It removes you from safety one step further. Wow, that's cool. <laughs> I really like that a lot. It's great. It's such a good scene. Oh wow, I never thought of it that way before. That's really cool. <laughs> Yeah, it so is. Decades later, this movie still keeps keeps getting you. <laughs> it's the, it's the, you just got to keep digging deeper. <laughs> Alan and Lex and Tim come into the empty visitor center. Tim, all staticky and bleeding from his recent run-in with the electric fence. But hey, there's desserts to eat while I wait for Alan to get help. 
just the most delicious desserts that have wild names and are only reserved for special holidays and fancy buffets. But that's when they see danger. Behind the shaking spoon of jello, the silhouette of a velociraptor. They run into the kitchen and try and escape, but the raptors are on the hunt. Meanwhile, the adults come up with a plan of action, feeling confident they can outsmart the raptors. But Mama didn't raise no raptor fool. These raptors can open doors. Two come into the kitchen, searching for their prey. But Lex and Tim are tiny and on the move. Through this cat and mouse game, the raptors try their best to get the kids, but they're bested. One is locked in the freezer forever. A raptorsicle. Lex and Tim run back out, finding Alan and Ellie, and make it to the control room. They need to restore the full power to the park. But these damn raptors and their ability to open doors, Alan and Ellie wrestle for control of the door while Lex realizes it's her time to shine. Through her skills as a millennial, she gets Jurassic Park back online. Phones, security systems, you name it, we got it. But the raptors aren't done yet and continue to make their way in. Grant, Ellie, and the kids climb into the ceiling to get away before emerging onto a playground of bones. Jurassic Park is crumbling. Lex falls. Ellie falls. Bones are everywhere. Tim falls. Grant falls. Another raptor shows up, surrounding the humans. And just when it looks like all hope is lost, who should appear? But the T-Rex, looking for more food, biting the raptor out of midair. Man is humbled before the power of nature. So, of course, Grant decides not to endorse the park. And Hammond can only begrudgingly agree. The dream is over. But nature prevails as the T-Rex stands triumphant. Damn. (laughs) This is the craziest climax. I mean, the ingenuity of man fails again yeah and again they're like "Ooh, let's go in here oh we let's go in. oh no wait look we got this saved oh no they're coming through the glass like we'll use a gun nope doesn't work yeah ultimately the dinosaurs are like fine i'll do it myself right. you yeah. know like you know they can't like nature is is i like wrote down and it's like the nature is course correcting itself you know it's yeah like, we shouldn't be here so we're like because the raptors almost they sort of represent the next phase of evolution and the, the more sort of science fiction aspect of these movies other than obviously bringing dinosaurs back right, to right. life which is the most science fiction aspect of this entire affair but until like a year from now when like they've actually done it yeah right because exactly. there's like a chicken that's almost a dinosaur or something oh, yeah, right now right engineering yeah yeah um but the raptors are sort of almost like the bastard of science and and nature and so it, like the rex as the sort of symbol of like no like we've taken it too far and so nature now has to like again like equilibrate and stuff. absolutely and I, and I love that this scene you know this section that we watch this kind of final climax sort of um begins with like the this decaying dessert these sort of like this very like Marie Antoinette like <laughs> like pinks and pineapples yeah and really, decadence yeah this decadence but it's all decaying and melty and stuff and they're eating it with spoons and it's just like or, or it's like the the um when the parents are turning into pigs and in, in spirited away, right you right know? there's this very like and it's just like okay like everything's crumbling and falling apart kind of thing that's so true it's like just like it's such a great display of like entropy of like we put all this like nice stuff together 
and it's just melting. It's just going bad and melting. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Um, yeah, and and I mean, you were just commenting like while we were watching, like the the shininess of the kitchen scene. Which yeah, it's just it's just again this display of like, oh, we've created monsters. Yeah, we're not. This isn't at this point. It's like these animals have now taken on a life of their own, right? It's yeah. a force. Of, it's a force of nature in that regard. Yeah, there's no. It, this isn't necessarily even about like our own stuff by the third act. It's like it's like these characters are now running about, like around, like trying to hunt down these kids. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, also, this these raptors came from the uh, queen or or the sort of matriarch killed all the other ones, right? Yeah, we learned yeah. that at the beginning. And these were the only ones that these were the only ones that um, survived. Yeah, because in the movie there was the yeah there was the one. Um, there's the one in the freezer and mm-hmm. then the two and then the two uh yeah, the two at the very end that were killed by right. the T Rex. I'm always so astonished at like how much the raptors are just snakes with legs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the way that like they snarl and like look and like jump out like and every time it jumps out of the camera, it looks like a snake like leaping out to bite you, and it's the scariest image that we have, like in the back of our heads. Yeah, I mean it's they're weirdly like I mean, they're almost like the symbol of temptation or just like this power, you know? Yeah. That like, you know, the the dark side of of, of everything wrong with Jurassic Park. Yeah, way. exactly. You know, because it's, it's, you know, Hammond wants this park to sort of bend to, you know, we never had control. And it's like, this is the scene that really displays kind of what Dr. Sattler was talking about. It's like. Whether this whether this happened now when there's like 10 people on the island or whether the park opened to tons of tourists as we see in Jurassic World, it's like it was always going to fail. Yeah. Yeah. Malcolm is right. You know, it's like doomed to fail from the beginning because there's no way that, you know, we've created like the raptors are almost like we created the dinosaurs in our own self image. kind of. Right. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's so Prometheus-y. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we came from the raptors, you know? Yeah. Um, but just like in the way that like they show, because also very snake-like, there's some very human moments of like clicking of the heel, yep. the toe claw. Like that's just very like thinking, like, mm, where are the humans? You know, mm-hmm. like I will eat them next, you know? Like when they run out of the kitchen, it's just like the raptor like turns and it's like, how dare yeah. you? You know, like <laughs> you just see that phase. Uh yeah, it's really it's really well done in terms of like telling the story through the raptors and it's so another thing I love about this climax is that we go through so many spaces and so many heights and it's very clearly indicated through uh you know scenic design and lighting where we are because we go from the dining room which is just this very silly like a bamboo chaired <laughs> buffet to the insanely clinical kitchen yeah to the control room which is so 90s computer tastic yeah lights, to the vents. lights and sounds yeah and things and so then... we know we're up now in the vents which is so just like garbage like wires and stuff hanging everywhere and then finally to the dusty like lobby like this very well lit lobby area with the dinosaur bones of like where you know, we're kind of back where we started. Exactly. In that yeah. And like you get, it really does feel shining ish 
in the sense that like you are given a clear map pretty early on. I mean, granted, The Shining screws around with that and suddenly you're in impossible spaces, but in the way that like, here's what the hotel's like, and now we're going to run through the hotel and like do it all. Yeah, but there is something visually so interesting about a dinosaur sort of destroying the bones, you know, yes. having the T-Rex at the end, having, you know, having her, her um, destroy the bones is sort of like, again, this idea that like nature prevails and, you know, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it just, you know, yeah. It really, it's like <laughs> that image of the T-Rex throwing the Velociraptor through the bones and then taking the place of the old skeleton is the is such a great like this is the natural cycle course correcting like you were saying where it's like we put all the bones together and T-Rex is like no I am alive <laughs> yeah you know it's like this is the closest we could get and it's like I have taken the place of the thing you thought you had you know <laughs> yeah and then what's so funny is you know kind of the, you know sort of the last bit of dialogue in this movie is said here where he's like you know uh, Mr. Hammond I've decided not to endorse your park so have I. And it's this idea that as the movie closes, it's like a fable. Yeah, this this is um, uh, over the garden wall. This is these are this is a fairy tale. Yeah, you know, Jurassic Park is this fairy tale of like Steven Spielberg allowing us to play in this space that you know. And I think it's like talking about why so many people like Jurassic Park is is it's that ability for us to be scared and to be awed um, into submission in sort of a way. But Spielberg, as a filmmaker, sort of gently puts us there and then gently takes us back after we've been on this wild ride. It's like a right. roller coaster. Yeah. I mean, if it, if you're thinking about the idea of like, it's like you're playing God, not necessarily in terms of like using science to do things, because that's, you know, not my perspective. And I don't think that's the perspective of the film. But the idea of like not having humility, I think, is like the big sin. Not that they like played with, you know, playing with jeans and stuff like that because they talk about well if it was condors that would be different right yeah, like, you yeah, know, yeah. like i really do think it's like the lack of humility of these characters that it almost plays like a parable in a little bit that way yeah where it's just like and now like brimstone is gonna come raining down upon yeah. you and your family yeah and then in allowing but in that way that spielbergian way of kind of allowing you it's like you you've gone into that world and now you're back out. And at the very end, when, you know, Grant and the, you know, the everyone's in the helicopter and it's like, oh, they see what dinosaurs are now. They mm-hmm. see these birds and it's like, but we can still dream. Yeah, you know? absolutely. The, the, the childhood imagination ultimately leaves unscathed. You know, yeah. there's still that curiosity there of like. You know, and I think ultimately the movie ends. It's not like, you know, Grant doesn't like, you know, like Mm -hmm. never go there again. It's sort of like he he sort of continues to dream like, you know, maybe next time it'll be better kind of thing. Yeah. Oh, have we learned? Maybe not. But, you know, in this space, we were, you know, we're still allowed to dream. Exactly. And he has the same look that he has with his first interaction with the dinosaur with the it's pelicans at the end right yeah yeah pelicans. yeah like with the pelicans and it is i mean granted birds are you know uh descendants and like related to like dinosaurs in weird ways but it is something where it's like the appreciation of just life you know and like that's the look he has he goes from like looking at bones and, and hating kids 
to looking at living things and having children sleeping all around him, you know, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. and like being able to comfort kids after this insanely traumatic event. Just say yes to life. Just say yes exactly. to dinosaurs. Yeah. You know, yeah. like after this, yeah, he goes like you know deep sea diving and like takes a pottery class. Yeah, 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 he's a thrill. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in in our world, in in our world, if the themes had continued in that way, it's like Grant would become a thrill seeker. You know, right, right, yeah. Um, he starts eating like that urchin that's like very dangerous to yeah. eat or something. Yeah, I mean, it is there. There's part of that the way the movie ends where it's like, you know. Spielberg is saying, and I think this is Spielberg saying it, or, you know, David, David Kep, the screenwriter, ultimately of the final product, you know, there's not a damnation there for that desire to, to want to experience this, no matter how dangerous it can be. Right. We, we are, you know, I think they're like, you're saying Grant has this smile because he's seeing pelicans. It's like, oh, the raptors aren't free. It's these, these descendants of, of dinosaurs that it's sort of like, there is that bit of humility that is learned yeah and i mean really like let's because this is the end of the film here let's really just think about the idea like what where things go wrong it's not with the stegosaurus right it's stegosaurus triceratops Triceratops. sorry sorry yeah because it's not it's not a stegosaurus yeah the triceratops um that's that's sick and they're helping it it's not the beginning where you see them out in the wild or you know at least a giant expanse of land stuff starts to go wrong for us when you see the raptors stuck in this tiny little cage or the t-rex that's up against this perimeter and it's when you cage that that's really where it went wrong you know like it's not like we now go to this island where these dinosaurs live. I think Lost World a little bit more like that where it gets kind of muddy as to like how we're we supposed to feel about like certain things. Yeah. But in this one, it's so clear where it's like, you know, creating it brings up these questions. Caging it is definitely not a great idea. Like caging nature is not the answer. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why at the end, it's these birds flying free that really symbolize what needs to happen in a world where if dinosaurs were ever brought back or, or even the idea of nature, it's like, it, it's, you know, maybe the movie is ultimately saying, you know, we need to learn to live in the mix, you know? Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. We Don't can, slap we... it on a lunchbox and put it in a cage. Yeah. Jurassic Park um, when it came out on VHS and I know it was the first weekend it came out on VHS because my dad picked me up from school and said like oh we got new movies we're gonna watch Jurassic Park when we get home and what's weird about that is like I wasn't allowed to see Jurassic Park he knew I wasn't allowed to see Jurassic Park but being a child of divorce like sometimes you get those perks So I just remember like watching it and how our um, how like the setup of his house was like you could be in the dining room and then stare into the living room. So I was like trying to get homework done and it was just playing in the background. And then I just remember the scene where like they're crawling through the air ducts and the raptor pops its head open. I audibly just screamed and all of my family, like all my cousins, my grandma, my dad just looked at me. And then, like, I just, like, I can't express, like, what a joyous feeling it was just watching that, like, with my family. And I don't, in my head, like, it's around um, Thanksgiving time for some reason. Yeah, Jurassic Park has a weird Thanksgiving connotation. Yeah. 
or the like, movie takes place in the summer. summer. Yeah, because I remember it came out in the um, in May. Like the original one came out in May, right? June, June, June. Yeah, because yeah. like my dad wanted to go, and my mom's like, no, no, not not happening. I am not dealing with the fallout of you showing like a eight year old, seven year old girl, eight year old girl, like a movie. Like never mind. Like that is not happening to me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And just oh, I remember like my biggest memory. Uh, like besides screaming when the raptor pops out of the like the ceiling is when like the Jurassic Park uh, when the T-Rex like saves the day and just like that feeling of like yeah This has been episode five of See Jurassic Right. My guests on this week's episode and future episodes were Omar Najam. You can follow him on Twitter at Omar Najam. Jason Ko, you can follow him on Twitter at The Jason Ko. And Annie Wilkes, you can follow her on Twitter at Andulka Wilkes. While episode six drops one month from today, be on the lookout for a mini-sode dropping next Tuesday. I'll be playing voicemails and reading emails sent in from listeners like you. Also, be on the lookout for future minisodes and special segments as well. And while you're at it, check out the Patreon for more bonus content. Now, I have two questions for you. If you want to tweet at me, call in, or leave a voicemail before next month's show, these questions are, what makes a good sequel to Jurassic Park? And do you think man and dinosaur could ever coexist peacefully? 65 million years of waiting Now you can also interact with me and the show by following me on Twitter at Stephen Ray Morris and following SJRPod on Twitter, See Jurassic Ride on Instagram, See Jurassic Ride on Facebook, or you can send me an email at SeeJurassicRide at gmail.com. Not only am I looking forward to talking to people about their Jurassic Park experiences and hearing yours, but I also am going to be sharing ephemera from my childhood and, oh God, I'm going to share the fan fiction uh, on there as well and pictures and toys and everything. It's going to be great. And I wanted to thank Caitlin Thompson and Tim Ruggery at ACAST, Molly McAleer, Heather Mason, Stephanie Cook, Sarah Iyer, and you. See Jurassic Right is an ACAST podcast. Check out the show on their mobile app. And thank you for listening. Until next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.